Good evening, everybody. I want to be sure that I had turned on the recording before we got started. How is everyone today? I hope everyone is doing well. I think Glenn and Amy are still in Israel or on their way back. They must have had a really great time. Um, this week's Parsha is the Yetza. And um, the Yetza means go out. So it says, and or so Yaakov went out. That's where it gets, we get the, uh, the word the Yetza. The Yetza Yaakov. <clears throat> That's the name of the Parsha. And it's about Yaakov's journey from his father's house to the house of Levon. Our passage is in the book of Genesis, the 28th verse, I mean 28th chapter, sorry about that, and starts with the 10th verse. So Yaakov went out from Beersheba and went to Haran. And he encountered the place and stayed there overnight because the sun had set. He took from the stones of the place, arranged them around his head, and slept in this place. Now he went toward Haran, and <clears throat> there is an idea that he, he was like almost there, and then he went, Oh my goodness! I passed Harhabai, you know, the place of the sacrifice of Yitzhak, and I did not stop there to pray. So he turned around and went back. Um, so he stayed there overnight, and he took a stone, stones from the place, and arranged them around his head and slept in this place. So the Midrash says that he prayed about the tribes that were going to be born to him because he saw that in his own family Esau was not chosen he was the only one so Esau was a Rasha he was a wicked person and in Avraham's family the only one that was chosen was Yitzhak and all the rest of them were considered Rashaim or evil ones or you know not up to the mark so he prayed about this what was going to be with his sons he knew prophetically because he had prophecy that he would have 12 sons so here he took 12 stones and arranged them around his head arranged them around him and the Midrash says that the stones argued and they, they said I want to be under his head I want to be under his head and then what happened was they merged and they became one stone so he had all these 12 stones became one stone and he knew from that it was a prophetic sign that all the tribes were going to be united and become a nation a righteous nation so this is what the the significance of the stones that he placed around his head was he dreamt and behold a ladder set up toward earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold angels of God ascending and descending against him now this ladder it says it was set up 
toward the earth. In other words, it came down from heaven toward earth. It was not on the earth toward reaching to heaven. It was from the heaven reaching to earth. And notice this, that the angels of God, they were not coming down and then going back up. They were ascending and then descending. So we see from this, there's a, a prophecy here of what is going to happen to the people who are going to descend from Yaakov. He sees these angels ascending and descending. He saw the angel of the, and he knew prophetically each one. He saw the angel of, of Babylon and it ascended 70 rungs. And then it fell saw the angel of Persia it ascended 52 rungs and it fell and so on he saw the angel of Greece ascend and fall and then he saw the angel of Edom of Rome it ascended and ascended and ascended and he never saw it come down and so it caused him fear later he says that he has fear here and he prayed about this and said is this going to be the end of my people is this going to be the end of the house of Israel and Hashem said no there would be an end to this this exile that it would end but it would be far in the future and this is the exile that we are still experiencing the exile of Rome still has not come to an end and behold God stood beside him and said I am God, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you are sleeping, to you I will give it and to your seed. And so here the rabbis say it was as though the land of Israel were a map and it was folded up and Yaakov was laying on this map so that he was laying on the whole land. So the land on which he was lying it was like the whole land folded up underneath him. And this was the promise. That all of this land would be his. And his, his children's. And your seed will be as the dust of the earth. And you will spread out toward the west and east. Toward the north and south. And through you will all the families on earth be blessed. And through your seed. And this is a continuation of the promise to Abraham. And you notice that this is a similar thing that Yaakov is going out of the land. He is doing his own lech lecha, just like Abraham. Abraham was leaving his family's house. He was told lech lecha, and he went out of his family's house, and he received a promise, a blessing. And Hashem continues, And behold, I am with you, and I will guard you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this soil. For I will not leave you until I have accomplished that which I have promised you. So this is a, a promise of care. That even when he has to leave the land of Israel. Even when he has to go away from the house of his father. That he is going to be cared for by Hashem. And that Hashem is going to bring him back. That there is a certain work that he has to do that can only be done outside the land of Israel because he has to go to the house of Levon to accomplish it and we're going to talk about that here in just a moment 
And Yaakov woke from his sleep and said, Truly God is in this place and I did not know it. So he, he wakes from his sleep and it's like, like he didn't know that this was a holy place. I mean, if he didn't know it before, now he certainly does. And he was afraid and said, How awe-inspiring is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate to heaven. And this was Harhabite. This was the, the Temple Mount. It was the same place that Avraham offered up Yitzhak. And we're told that Avraham called it a mountain. Yitzhak called it the field. And then Yaakov here calls it the house of God. He calls it Bethel. And it's not the town that we know of as Bethel. It is the house of God. It is the mountain where we had the, have the temple. And he was afraid and said, this is the gate to heaven. Now, it's, what's very, very interesting about this whole thing is that we have this idea of the temple mount, the holiness of the temple mount being a gate to heaven like this. And we have one other place that we talk of as being a gate to the next world, and that is Machpelah. And so there's a, there's this connection between the Temple Mount and Machpelah. And very interesting, when you stop and you think about that connection, that Yitzhak was offered up on the Mount, on the Temple Mount, and then his mother was buried, the first one buried at Machpelah. And both of these places are a gate to the next world. Both of these places in the world Yaakov rose up early in the morning and took the stone which he placed at his head and set it up as a memorial stone and poured oil upon the top of it and he named the name of the place Bethel but formerly the name of the city was Luz and Yaakov made a vow as follows if God will be with me and will keep me on this path upon which I am going and will give me bread to eat and clothing to put on and I will return in peace to the house of my father then God shall be God to me and this stone which I have set as a memorial stone shall be a house of God and all that thou wilt give me I will tithe to thee repeatedly now let's just look at this vow that he made first of all he is saying he's he's praying because he's always concerned that maybe he will do something that will cause him to lose the promise maybe he will commit some sin that will make him unworthy so Hashem so he's praying that Hashem will keep him on the path that will keep him from doing something that would cause him not to merit and all he asks he's not asking you see the next part where it says give me bread to eat and clothing to put on he's just saying please provide for me my necessities he's not saying and if you'll make me rich he's saying please provide me my necessities and we, when we see later on when he gets to the house of Levon that's exactly what does happen he works for Levon in the beginning for 14 years and that's what he's given He's working for his bride. 
And so he only has the bread that he eats and the clothing that he wears. That's it. Just the essentials. So he's, his, Hashem is being faithful to provide him his every need. And then he says, and will, I will return in peace to the house of my father. So he's praying also for peace. He's wanting peace from Hashem. He recognizes that this is something that only Hashem can give to him is peace and then he promises that God will then be a God to him and I mean it almost sounds conditional but it's not really like that not really at all he's just setting out things I I have my certain needs to be in the world I have certain needs and I will dedicate my life to your service is what he is saying and he set that memorial stone and it's interesting how throughout the story of the patriarchs this place becomes more and more um, marked as being the place that Hashem is going to later say this is the place I've chosen for my house that it's actually the place that Abraham offered Isaac and so the uh, Midrash talks about those stones that, uh, that Yaakov put around his head as being taken off of that altar that Abraham had built and he put them in a circle around himself and Yaakov lifted up his feet and went to the land of the sons of the east and he looked now this is when he gets to Padan Aram he looked and behold a well in the field and there behold three flocks of sheep lying there by it for out of this well they would water the flocks and the rock which lay upon the mouth of the well was large so that all the flocks had to gather there first in order to roll away the rock from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and then they put the rock back in its place so what happened was that the water all the other water had been contaminated somehow and this was the only well of pure water and so because nobody trusted in anybody else they made the stone that was on the well so large that they would all have to be there together to move it so one guy couldn't move it so and then they put the rock back into its place and Yaakov said to them my brothers from where are you and they said we are from Haran and he said to them do you know Levan the son of Nahor and they said we know him and he said to them are things going well with him and they said they are going well and lo his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep and he said lo it is still high day it is not yet time that the property should be gathered in or the sheep he's talking about how they are just sitting there water the sheep and go and let them feed so he's, he's criticizing these shepherds for just sitting there and they said we cannot do that until all the flocks have gathered together and they roll the rock from the mouth of the well then we shall water the sheep and he was still speaking with them there and there came Rachel with her father's sheep for she was a shepherdess and it came to pass that when Yaakov saw Rachel the daughter of Levan his mother's brother 
and the sheep of Levon, his mother's brother, that Yaakov went near and caused the rock to roll from the mouth of the well and watered the sheep of Levon, his mother's brother. So here all these guys have been sitting around waiting until everybody showed up so they could in, together move this rock. And Yaakov walks over and here and he is not real young here. He walks over and he moves this rock. And Yaakov kissed Rachel, lifted up his voice and wept. Now there is a question. Obviously, it it begs to be asked, why was he crying? He lifted up his voice and wept. Why do you think he was crying? Does anybody have an idea why he would be crying here? Um, well, there's one idea is that he was he was a prophet. He knew she was his soulmate, so it could have been tears of joy, tears of relief, but also he he knew prophetically that she was going to die young. That was another thing. He he was a prophet. He knew prophetically that she was going to die young. Now he gets to Haran, and we skipped a little bit. And the and what is skipped between the time that he was at Harabai and Haran? Now there was a time between that. There was 14 years before he arrived actually at Haran, and that was a time that is not talked about in the written Torah, but it is talked about in the Midrash and it's very important especially to B'nai Noach to know this because where was Yaakov during this time before he got to Haran after he left his father's house and before he got to Haran he was actually sitting in the yeshiva the, the academy of Shem and Eber he was learning from them the Noahide laws so this is a time period of time that's not counted against him as time away from his father's house because he was learning Torah when they were learning the Noahide laws in those days and when we're learning the Noahide laws in our day you're learning Torah it is learning Torah because this is the foundation of the Torah and so this was where Yaakov was this was how he was spending his time <coughs> Um, and it's very important for us to know that because it was giving him the foundation it was giving him all of the underpinnings it was giving him the strength 
that he was going to need when he would get to the house of Levon. Because let us not not make a mistake. Levon was a very wicked man. He was an idolater. He was very versed in the skills of cheating people, of theft, of, um, you know, he wasn't above committing murder. He was a very immoral person. And Yaakov was going to be going to this environment. In order for him to be able to not only be strong enough to not be sucked in and, and tricked by Levon, which is definitely what he tried to do, but also to give him the strength of character so that he would not, you know, where he could rise above it, where he could deal with Levon in a in a way that was necessary, but not be corrupted. And this is something that's really important. That Yaakov was able to deal with Levon, and Levon is a trickster, and Yaakov was able to deal with this trickster in such a way, this deceptive person, in such a way that was necessary, but yet not be corrupted himself. And sometimes when we read the written text about Yaakov, we can make the mistake of thinking that he is like these guys just as bad as they are because he's using their same tricks but it's not really true at all that's a very um, superficial reading of what's going on Yaakov is actually getting ready with Levon to fight a tremendous battle and it's talked about actually in uh, the book of Deuteronomy and Devarim well, where it says an, um, an Aramean tried to, to destroy my father. This is also found in the Haggadah when we read it on Pesach. And this person, the Aramean, was no, none other than Levon. And he wasn't just trying to destroy Yaakov. He was trying to destroy the people of Israel before they could come into the world. And later when we read about the sheep, this is a very important point. That what's going on is more than sheep. It's a lot more than sheep or property. Like it says here, it calls the sheep property. It's a lot more than that. We're talking about something in a, a, rather, um, a rather symbolic language. Okay, so Yaakov kissed Rachel and he lifted up his voice and he wept. And another reason that he lifted up his voice and he wept was because there were these people standing around and he wept because they misunderstood his kissing her. And they made something, you know, in their minds, made something dirty out of it. And so he wept that they would think this. And we're on verse 12. Thereupon Yaakov told Rachel that he was the kinsman of her father, that he was Rivka's son. And she ran and told her father. When Levon heard the news of Yaakov, his sister's son, he ran to meet him, embraced him, and kissed him, and brought him to his house. He told Levon all these happening. Now we see here two kinds of kisses. We see the kiss of Yaakov to Rachel, and it's like whenever 
Ruth kissed Naomi how it was a pure kiss it was it was with pure affection and then we see Levon kissing Yaakov and everything that Levon does is sneaky and sly everything he does in the story and Levon said to him surely you are my bone and my flesh and so he stayed with him for a month and Levon said to Yaakov even if you are my kinsman should you therefore serve me without compensation tell me what what shall be your wages now he's thinking if he asks me for ten pieces of gold I'm going to give him five if he asks me for six I'm going to give him three he's already thinking how he's going to trick him how he's going to cheat him but that's not what Yaakov says Levon had two daughters the name of the elder was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel Leah's eyes were tender but Rachel was beautiful of face and beautiful to look upon now when we say it that way it sounds like we're saying Rachel was beautiful and Leah was not Yaakov loved Rachel and said I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter Rachel and he makes it very clear for your younger daughter Rachel not another girl named Rachel and don't change Leah's name to Rachel the younger daughter your daughter not somebody else's daughter and not some other girl with another name Rachel see he knows how to deal with Levon Levon said it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man stay with me so Yaakov served for Rachel seven years but they were only a few days in his eyes because of his love for her and Yaakov said to Levon give me my wife for my working days are completed I want to go to her and Levon gathered all the people of the place and prepared a feast now he gathered all the people of the place and so all the people knew what was going on but he told them now listen since Yaakov has been here the waters are running and and irrigating our fields we are prosperous now we're being blessed so we don't want him to leave so I have a plan I'm going to give him Leah and then he'll have to stay longer because he'll want want Rachel and so all the people went okay but they didn't want to be guilty of being a part of Levon's deception and so during the wedding they went you know that that of the Sparting do well that comes from the tradition that they were saying Leia 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 they're going like that and so they didn't want Yaakov to later say well you all conspired so they were they, then they could say well we tried to tell you didn't you hear us saying Leah but it didn't work and Levon gathered all the people of the place and prepared a feast and when it was evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to him and he came to her Levon gave her his maidservant Zilpah as a maidservant to his daughter Leah and when it was morning behold it was Leah 
And he said to Laban, What have you done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? And Laban said, It is not done in our place to give the younger before the elder. Complete the wedding week of this one, and then we shall give you the other one also for the service you, which you will render to me for another seven years. So he thinks he's really done. He's really tricked Yaakov well. Now, Leah, on the other hand, had also taken part in this deception. And we have to ask ourselves, well, why would she take part in this deception? And the reason is because there was an understanding that Levon had two daughters and Rivka and Yitzhak had two sons. The older would marry the older and the younger would marry the younger. So Leah was destined to marry Asaph. The reason she had tender eyes, she had weak eyes, was because she cried and cried all her life. She cried that she did not want to marry Asaph. And she prayed. She prayed very hard because she did not want to marry Asaph. And so when this opportunity came and she was going to be given to Yaakov, it was really an answer to her prayer that she was going to be one of the wives of Yaakov. That was the hand of Hashem bringing this about. Now, all Yaakov had to do after the wedding was say, I don't want her, and, and divorce her. He could have done that. But it was not the will of God that this happened. It was the will of Hashem to the answer of Leah's prayers that she be married to Yaakov as well. Yaakov did so and completed the wedding week of this one and thereupon he gave him his daughter Rachel's wife and Laban gave his daughter Rachel his maidservant Bilhah as maidservant for her. He came also to Rachel and he also loved Rachel more than Leah and he served with him for another seven years. When God saw that Leah was the hated one he opened her womb but Rachel was barren. So Hashem saw that Leah was not loved by Yaakov and he did not intend that Yaakov divorce her. So what he did was so what happened was she became she conceived immediately she had cried all these years she had prayed all these years and those prayers of Leah were to her merit that she conceived immediately when God saw that she was hated she conceived and Leah conceived and bore a son and she called him Ruvain for she had said God has looked upon my affliction. Now my husband will love me. So here she is in the very beginning of her marriage. And all we'll see each time she names one of her sons. She's thinking, now he'll love me. Now he'll hear me. Now he'll... Like this. She conceived again and bore a son. And she said, God has heard that I am the hated one. Therefore he has given me this one also. And she named him Shimon. 
she conceived again and bore a son and said now my husband will attach himself to me for I have borne him three sons therefore she called him Levi but in the Hebrew it, talk, it says that he was called Levi by Hashem now let me just go here Um, see in the, actually in the in the Hebrew it says Kara Shmo Levi he was called Levi his name was called Levi and so the the idea is that even though she called him Levi that he was actually named by Hashem just the way that that is worded um, let me just go up here and just look at where the way it says the name of Shimon see in the, in the Hebrew when it says she named Shimon it says the Tikra the Tikra Shmo Shimon and here it doesn't say the Tikra it says Kara that his name was called Levi and it was uh, that Hashem actually named Levi it's a different wording and she conceived again and bore a son and she said now I shall give thanks to God therefore she called him Yehuda and then she stopped bearing now when she gave birth to Yehuda it says the same thing aha see the the gender of the of the word kara when she says it she was going to name him Yehuda the gender is feminine but when she's naming um, Levi, the gender is masculine, and that's where the rabbis um, get that Hashem named Levi. It's a different, even though it's the same word, it's a different gender of the verb. It's feminine with Yehuda and feminine with all the others, but except with Levi. And that's an important thing. Yet, with each time that she gave birth to one of these first three sons she was thinking of Yaakov she said Hashem has seen that I'm hated he has heard that I'm hated and now he will now he will become attached to me she was always thinking of Yaakov and then finally when she gives birth to Yehuda she stops looking at Yaakov and she looks up and she says now I will give thanks to God and his name comes from Hoda'ah it comes from the word for thanks so Yehuda is very connected with praising Hashem he's connected with a shift within Leah herself that she herself had a change of her soul and she really came into who she really was she really matured into the woman 
into the soul that she came into the world to be with this birth suddenly she's all of a sudden she's not so concerned anymore and we'll see it with the way she names her sons uh, after this the way she names her children she's not so concerned anymore about Yaakov not loving her or Yaakov leaving her now she's given birth to four sons there's no way he's going to leave her she's the only one of his wives who has given birth to any sons at all at this point when Rachel saw that she had borne Yaakov no children Rachel envied her sister and she said to Yaakov give me children or else I will die and Yaakov was angry with Rachel and said am I in God's place who has withheld from you the fruit of your womb behold she said my handmaid Bilhah come to her and let her bear for my knees so that I too will be built through her and she gave him her maidservant Bilhah to wife and Yaakov came to her Bilhah conceived and bore Yaakov a son let's back up for a moment when Rachel said this to Yaakov and he answered her like that am I in God's place I mean this was a pretty heartless thing heartless way to answer the woman that you profess to love so much that you're willing to work 14 years for her and it was rather it was callous it was unfeeling for him to answer her this way and so the court of heaven decreed that one day her son would answer Leah's sons like that am I in God's place and they did I mean he did later whenever they wondered um, what was going to happen after their father died if he was going to take his revenge he said am I in God's place that I should do such a thing it wasn't in a callous way though it was in a, it was actually in a loving way and here this was rather callous and so Yaakov basically refused to pray for Rachel we can imagine that he refused to pray for her so she gave him Bilhah her handmaid and Bilhah conceived and she had, gave birth to a son and she named him Rachel named him Dan because Rachel said I have fought a divine struggle no let me back she said God has judged me and he has heard my voice we, heard me weeping and given me a son so here she is now weeping she's now the one who's crying and she's praying for children whereas all of the life before this before the marriage who was the one who was crying who was the one who was praying all the time it was Leah and so Leah had already prayed she had already cried and she had already prayed and so immediately after her wedding she was able to have children and essentially what we need to see here is that the mothers are praying the souls of these children into the world not Yaakov the mothers Leah is praying had prayed the souls of her children into the world before she ever got married and now Rachel is doing the same thing she's crying and she's praying 
and she herself is praying children down for Bilha. Bilha bore Dan and then she had a second son and Rachel said I have fought a divine struggle with my sister and I have prevailed therefore she called him Naphtali Naphtali is also connected to the word tefillah tefillah for prayer so she's talking about a divine struggle as in praying she's praying for children she's doing the struggling and not against her sister or it's praying with her you know it's in conjunction with her to pray these souls into the world and we can read this in English and we can misunderstand we can think that this is an, it's a rivalry and they hate each other and they're just struggling against each other and it's a cat fight all the time there's a little bit of that yeah because they're human beings but on a very high level Rachel and Leah represent two types of prayer they represent Rachel represents the prayers of tefillah because it is that entering in it's that open my mouth and I shall pray it's that very first thing that we say when we first begin to pray and Leah on the other hand represents what we call <coughs> Tehillah or the, the, um, it's Tehillah and Tehillah Tehillah is praise and this is Leah it's the entering into the praise it's a very very high but you have Rachel and Leah looking at each other facing each other and connecting with each other Tefillah and Tehillah this prayer and praise together and they're drawing these wonderful things down into the world and first it's being it's symbolized we see a lot of symbolism here at first it's symbolized through the children that they draw down into the world and it's a lesson for all of us all women that this is our place this is the type of prayers that Hashem has given to us as women that we not only birth children physically but we pray those souls into the world and it makes all the difference what we're praying and what we're thinking and how our mindset is as to what types of souls it's forming just like the fetus is forming inside of the body just like physically it's also making these decisions about the soul and you see this a lot with the prayer of Hannah when she's praying for um, Samuel to come into the world she prays for a son not a daughter a son she says she'll give him to the Lord so she wants him to be godly she says he will be a Nazarite from birth and so he's dedicated in a very strong way to God even before he's born and she prays that he will be a prophet she prays what is going to be the formation of his soul before it ever comes into the world she prays that soul down into the world that very very special soul so this is the power of the prayer of the mother that she is going to birth this in prayer before she births it physically so she has a spiritual birthing bringing that soul down into the, the fetus into the, the baby before it's born and then she has a physical birth when Leah saw we're in verse 9 now when she saw that she had stopped bearing she took her handmaid her maidservant Zilpah and gave her to Yaakov to wife 
Zilpah, Leah's maidservant, bore Yaakov a son. And Leah said, Good fortune has come. And she called him God. Leah's maidservant, Zilpah, bore Yaakov a second son. And um, Leah said, I am still in my happy progress, for women have praised my progress. And she called him Asher. So she's she's praising Hashem. After the birth of of Yehuda, here we see, with God, she's praising him. Good fortune has come. And then with the birth of Asher, she's praising him still. Happy will I be among women. And she prophetically sees that the tribe of Asher is going to bring forth these beautiful women who are going to marry the priests and the kings. And now we're on verse 14. Ruthane went in the days of the wheat harvest and found Dudaim in the field and brought them home to his mother Leah. And Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your sons, Dudaim. And she said to her, Is it a small thing that you have my husband, and now you want my sons, Dudaim, also? And Rachel said, Well, he shall come to you this night for your sons, Dudaim. Now the Dudaim are also known in English as mandrakes, that they were like an aphrodisiac. Um, and so Rahel was thinking maybe this would, would uh, like a fertility drug. That's what she was thinking. So she said, okay, then he can come to you tonight for the flowers. <coughs> So here we see a little bit that looks like it looks like they did have some, um, and they were like I said, human. They're human women, and they had these feelings. They had feelings that they had to um, deal with. So there was some competition there. And Yaakov came home, came from the field in the evening. Leah went out to meet him and said, "You must come to me because I have acquired you for my sons, Dudaim." And he slept with her that night. And God hearkened to Leah. She conceived and bore Yaakov a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my maidservant to my husband. Therefore she called him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Yaakov a sixth son. And Leah said, God has appointed, apportioned me a good portion. Now my husband will make his home with me, for I have borne him six sons. Now this was actually, it was a double portion. Because the portion for, for a wife to give to a husband was six sons. And Leah had given him, I mean three sons. And Leah had given him six. After that she bore him a daughter and called her Dina. Now this is very interesting um, Midrash here about the birth of Dina. Now, Rachel has not borne any children herself. Each of the handmaids has borne two two sons apiece, and they knew by prophetic, they knew prophetically that there were going to be twelve sons, twelve tribes, and already there have been six born, so there are two left. So the Midrash says that Leah was pregnant actually with a boy 
and she knew it was a boy it was a seventh son but she knew too that if she had this son that there would only be one left and if Rahel had a child she would only have one son and Rahel and Leah were actually pregnant at the same time and Rachel was pregnant with a girl so what happened we see that Yaakov had already told Rachel that he was not going to pray for her he said who am I in the place of God he says you come to me like this it was a very harsh answer so who prayed for her who prayed for her it was actually Leah Leah prayed Leah was pregnant with a with boy and Rahul was pregnant with a girl but Leah prayed for her sister and this shows that what we read in the written text is not the whole story we don't see everything there there are layers that we don't see we don't see that Leah prayed but there is a hint here that Leah prayed and the hint is in this 21st verse that she bore him a daughter and called her Dina and Dina has to do with judgment that she that Hashem judged and so the babies changed places the sexes of the babies changed Leah was then pregnant with a girl and she bore Dina and Rachel is pregnant with her first son so there's a real connection between Dina and Yosef God remembered Rachel God hearkened to her and opened her womb she conceived and bore a son and she said God has taken away my disgrace she called him Yosef saying may God give me yet another son so when we read this in the written text it sounds like she's just being give me give me give me but that's not true it's not a true picture of what's going on here at all what is actually happening here is that she knows there are 12, 12 tribes meant to be born they all know this and she says please let me have the next one so that I can be a part of the 12 tribes this is her desire these mothers wanted so much to bring these tribes into the world we have to understand this that this was they uh, that they were taking part of this of drawing these physically drawing the tribes drawing the people of Israel down into the world at this time and they knew this it came to pass when Rachel had born Yosef that Yaakov said to Levan send me away so that I may go to my place and to my country give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you so I would go for you know my service how I have served you now why all of a sudden does it say that he wanted to leave says he after Yosef was born it's a very important point that we will, that we pay attention that it was after Yosef was born that Yaakov said to Levan let me go back to my home now and the reason was because Yosef was going to be the only one who could really stand up against Esau and so he was waiting for him to be born 
before he would go back to his home. This was the destiny of Yosef. And we see this in the prophets. We see it um, in the prophets where it says that Asaph, the house of Asaph, is straw and Yosef is a flame. So this is the destiny of Yosef. And he so he was waiting for him to be born before he would go back to um, the house of his father and Levan said to him may I have found favor in your eyes I have a presentment that God has blessed me for your sake then he said fix your wages for me and I will gladly give it and he said to him you know very well how I have served you and what your property has become with me for the little that you had before I came has increased in multitude because God has blessed you according to my endeavor and now when shall I provide for my house also and he said what shall I give you and Yaakov replied you shall not give me anything if you will do this thing for me I will feed your flock again and I will keep it today I will go through all your small cattle and will separate from them every speckled and spotted lamb and every dark excuse me dark lamb from among the sheep and spotted and speckled from among the goats this shall be my pay and in the future let it testify against my intention to my duty if you will look over my pay which lies open before you whatever is not speckled and spotted among the goats or dark among the sheep shall be counted as stolen by me Levan said very well let it be as you have spoken on that day he separated the he goats that were marked upon their legs and spotted and also all the speckled and spotted she goats everything that even everything that had even only a little white upon it and all the dark upon the sheep and he gave them into the hands of his sons and he set three days journey between himself and Yaakov and Yaakov fed the rest of Levan's sheep so he separated out all of the sheep that were um, marked in the way that Yaakov said so that Yaakov is not going to have it's going to be the odds are going to be against sheep being born with those markings and he gave those to his sons and he gave the rest of the sheep to Yaakov to feed he gave the, him the weak ones and Yaakov took for himself rods of fresh aspen and of hazelnut and chestnut trees we notice that there are three species that is mentioned of wood peeled white streaks in them by uncovering the white which was in the rods and he set the rods which he had peeled in the gutters in the watering troughs where the female animals came to drink opposite the males and both came into heat and when they came to drink and the animals came into heat opposite the rods and the animals brought forth young marked upon the legs speckled and spotted Yaakov had segregated the sheep just a minute I'm just a minute
sorry. I, I thought that was my mother, but it was the kids. Um, they placed the rods before their eyes in the gutters where they were drinking. But when the animals were left covered, he did not place them there so that those covered became Levans and those banded together became Yaakov. And the man now became immensely wealthy and he had sheep in multitude, maidservants and men servants and camels and donkeys. Now, there is a lot to this passage here that I want to talk about. As it looks, just like we were talking about the children, it looks like we're just reading here about um, a business proposition. It looks like we're reading about a pay that was given to Yaakov and how Levon was trying to trick him. On the surface, that's all it looks like we're reading about. But there's a lot more going on here than that. As I was saying before, Levon wanted to destroy Israel before Israel could come into the world. And this whole analogy, this whole thing about the sheep, was a playing out in the physical realm of something that was going on in the spiritual realm. There was this battle going on between Yaakov and, and uh, Levon over the souls of Israel. And it was being manifest. It was being symbolized in a physical way through the sheep. That Yaakov was trying to bring these sheep into the world the same way as the mothers were praying the souls of the children into the world. Now Yaakov is going to bring these sheep into the world because he is securing the souls of the house of Israel from Levon. So these sheep symbolically are the souls of the house of Israel. Now how was he going to do this? Because he had to do something to bring this about in a physical way. And we read about it here in the in the rods that he prepared of aspen, hazelnut, and chestnut. We read that there are three species of wood that he used. There are also three categories, other categories, in just a moment. There are also three other categories on which Yaakov was going to um, meditate in order to be able to bring these these children down into the world I mean these sheep and he's securing the souls of the house of Israel at the same time so he has a dream of these sheep the angel speaks to him and we're going to see this later how the angel appears to him and actually tells him what he is, what he has to do. So there are three, there were three types of wood, and there were three types of markings on the sheep and the goats. The first was banded, then there was spotted and streaked. Now the banded in Hebrew is called akudim. These animals had bands around their legs while the rest of the body was white so they looked like they were bound. 
The spotted is Nicodem, and these animals had black spots on a white body. The streaked is called Berudim because it's like Berod is hail. And these, these animals had a black body with white streaks, and it gave the appearance of hail. So the way that Yaakov succeeded in increasing his flocks was obviously a miracle. And the angel had appeared to him and told, in a dream and told him what to do, told him how to do this. He followed a regular procedure, and we see this with the rods, but there was more to it. When he wanted his sheep to conceive, banded, spotted, or streaked, he cut the rods and he put it, put the appropriate markings and set them where the sheep made it. And this, in turn, was based on the prophetic vision in which the angel appeared to him and said, Raise your eyes and you will see the bucks mounting the sheep are banded, spotted, and streaked. And we see this is going to be um, talked about later in the next chapter as a matter of fact yes as a result of this vision and this was a vision in which the angel instructed Yaakov he learned how to meditate on these rods while he was in a very high state of meditation and thereby project his thoughts on the sheep being conceived so he was able to affect the genetic structure of the sheep so they would be born with these certain markings. And now as Ari Azal says, when Yaakov saw this vision, he was looking at the very beginning of creation. Uh, this is before the first day of creation. This is the creation of the spherot. And it was because he had reached this high level of consciousness that he was able to meditate on the spiritual dimension that underlies the physical reality and thereby influence the genetic structure of the sheep. The three types of markings in the vision represented three major changes, major stages in the evolution of the syrup. While meditating on the latter, he succeeded to change the former. So he was meditating on each stage and those sheep came forth as a result with those particular markings. When Yaakov saw, what Yaakov saw was that when the spherot were first created, they existed in a paradoxical pin light in one vessel. And this was the first level called Akudim, where they're banded together, where all the spherot are completely undifferentiated and bound together. So the sheep, when he would would meditate on this, were born with white body and black bands around their legs. Next, these lights were divided into ten distinct entities. In this state, they existed as simple nikudim, or spots, or points. This is a state where the primitive spirit could receive God's light, and they are thus called vessels. They could not interact or give anything to each other, however, and therefore they could not hold the divine light. Instead, they were overwhelmed by the light and shattered, and this is known as the breaking of the vessels. After having been shattered, 
The vessels were then rectified and rebuilt, and this is the final stage, the Barudim, the streaked, where the spherot are connected as Parsifim, or the archetypical, archetypical personas, the spiritual parallels to the human body. This is a level this level is usually referred to as the universe of Atsilut, of, of nearness. It is in this rectified state that the Sphero could now interact with each other and become givers as well as receivers. So, you, we can now summarize the process again. The Akudim is the first level where all the Sphero are bound together and the sheep, when he was meditating on this level were born with white bodies and black bands. In Nicodem they are separated into single points or vessels and the shattering takes place. And these sheep were spotted or the Nicodem they were the sheep that had black spots on a white body. And the Baradim is where they become reconstituted into the parts of theme and these sheep were born with a black body and white streaks. And so he meditated upon these stages of the creation of the Sphero, which are the vessels through which Hashem created the world. So he's meditating on what happened before the first day of creation in order to bring down the sheep to affect the genetic structure and bring them down in such a way. And he heard the words of the sons of Levon, Yaakov has apportioned to himself everything that belongs to our father, and of that which belongs to our father he has gotten all his glory. Yaakov also saw the face of Levon, and behold, he too was no longer toward him as he had been yesterday and the day before. And God said to Yaakov, Return to the land of your fathers and to your birthplace, and I will be with you. All this time he's lived in the house of Levon and he has not heard from God like this. And all of a sudden now he is hearing Hashem's directive to return to the house of his father. And Yaakov sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his sheep and he said to them, I see your father's countenance that it is no longer toward me as it was yesterday and the day before and only the God of my father has been with me but you know that I have served your father with all my strength however your father has deceived me with promises he changed my pay ten times and only God did not permit him to wrong me if he said the speckled shall be your wages all the sheep bore speckled if he said those that are marked with their, upon their legs shall be your wages all the sheep bore young with marks upon their legs in this manner God rescued my father's proper, your father's property and gave it to me. Now it came to pass, when now the sheep have come into heat, that I lifted up my eyes in a dream and saw, and lo, the bucks which mounted the sheep had marks upon their legs, were speckled and spotted. And the angel of God said to me in a dream, Yaakov, and I replied, Here I am. And he said, Please lift up your eyes and see all the bucks which mounted the sheep have marks upon their legs and are speckled and spotted for I have seen everything that Levon is doing to you but I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a memorial stone and made a vow to me 
Now arise, go out of this land, and return to the land of your birth. So here is the passage that is talking about the angel coming to him in a vision, in a dream, and telling him how to affect the genetic structure of these sheep. And Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Have we still a portion and inheritance in the house of our father? Are we not to him as strangers since we he has sold us and even devoured our purchase price? For all the wealth which God has rescued from our father is ours and our children. And now whatever God has said you to, to you do. And Yaakov rose and sent his children and wives upon camels and led forth all his property all the wealth which he had acquired that which he had acquired as his property that which he had acquired in Padan Aram in order to come home to his father Yitzhak to the land of Canaan but Levan had gone away to shear his sheep and Rachel stole his, her father's idols and Yaakov stole the heart of Levan the Aramean in that he did not tell him because he fled now this is an interesting two verses Rachel stole her father's idols and Yaakov stole the heart of Levan now why do you think what do you think this means first of all why do you think Rachel stole her father's idols Well, one reason that she stole her father's idols was because she didn't want him worshipping idols. But another reason was because the teraphim that he used were such that he could divine with them and he, and he could find out what was going on. And she did not want them to tell that they had left or where they were going. So she was trying to protect her family by taking them. Then we have a little bit more difficult verse when it says, Yaakov stole the heart of Levan the Aramean, in that he did not tell him. So what what this verse is actually saying is that Yaakov deceived Levan. He didn't, he was not completely upfront with Levan. And so he deceived him, but he really had no choice because of the way Levon was. But it's interesting that the Torah brings this out in this way, that it says it in this way. So he fled with all that was his. He rose and crossed the river and set his direction toward Mount Gilad. On the third day, it was told to Levon that Yaakov had fled because Levon was three days' journey away from his home. And he took his companions with him and pursued him seven days' journey and caught up with him on Mount Gilad. But God came to Levon the Aramean in a dream of the night and said to him, Take heed that you do not speak to Yaakov, either good or bad. Therefore, when Levon came up to Yaakov, Yaakov having pitched his tent upon the mountain, but Levon had his companions, and his companions had pitched theirs on Mount Gilad, Levan said to Yaakov, What have you done? 
you have robbed my heart. In other words, you've deceived me. You have led my daughters away like prisoners of war. Why did you flee in secret and rob me? You told me nothing. Why I would have sent you away with joy and with songs, with uh, taverns and heart. And you did not permit me to kiss my sons and daughters. Now you see how foolishly you acted. It is within my power of hand to do you harm. But God of your father said to me last night, Take heed that you do not speak to Yaakov either good or bad. Well, so you have left, because you indeed yearn for your father's house. But why did you steal my God? So he's saying a lot here to Yaakov. He's acting totally incensed that he left without telling him. But it's very clear and obvious that he would never have let him leave. He would never have let him take his daughters. He would never have let him take his grandchildren. He would never have let him take the sheep that he said he was paying him. And Yaakov knew this. And so Yaakov knew the only way to get away with what was his by right was to leave without telling Levon. And so then Levon comes and he puts on this big show. I would have sent you away with songs and with feasting, with merriment. It's nothing but a big show, a lot of hot air, because Levon would not have done any such thing, and Yaakov knows that. But then he gets back to down to the last thing, but why did you steal my gods? And Yaakov answered and said to Levon, because I was afraid, for I told myself, you might take your daughters from me by force, but with whomever you would find your God. Now he switches to a different subject. He tells him, I was afraid you wouldn't let them go with me. Then he says, but with whomever you find your gods, he shall not remain alive. In the presence of your brothers, discern what of yours is with me and take it for yourself. Now Yaakov doesn't realize what he is saying. He does not realize that Rachel is the one who took the the idols, the teraphim. And so he says this curse. Whoever is found with these gods, with these teraphim, he will not live. And that seals Rachel's doom because she's the one and he doesn't know it. Yaakov did not know that it was Rachel who had stolen them. And Levon came into Yaakov's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two handmaids and found nothing. And he went out of Leah's tent and came to the tent of Rachel. Now Rachel had taken the idols and placed them into the cushion of a camel and was now sitting upon them. Levon felt about all the tent and found nothing. And she said to her father, Let it not be annoying in the eyes of my lord that I cannot rise before you because the manner of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the idols. So he searched everywhere. He looked all over in everybody's tent, but he didn't find them. And we see that Leah understands a little bit about trickery, in that she was willing to um, be put into the place of Rachel. And Rachel also knows a little bit about trickery, in that she's able to lie to her father. Oh, well, the way of women is upon me, so I can't move. 
So he looked everywhere. He looked all over and he did not find the idols. This made Yaakov angry and now he rose to quarrel with Lavan. What is my crime and what my sin that you pursued me? You have felt all about my utensils. What have you found among all the utensils of my house? Set it here in the presence of my brothers and yours. Let them judge between the two of us. For these twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your she-goats have not miscarried. And I have not eaten the rams of your flock. I have not brought home to you anything torn by other animals. I would make restitution for it. You would claim it from my hand, whether it was stolen by day or stolen by night. I was there by day when the heat consumed me, and the frost by night, and sleep vanished from my eyes. This happened to me for twenty years in your house. I served you fourteen years for two daughters, and six years for your flock, and you changed my pay ten times. Had not the God of my father, the dread of Yitzhak, at the time of my offering, been on my side, you would now have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my misery in the toil of my hand, and he proved it last night. And Levon answered and said to Yaakov, The daughters are my daughters, and the sons are my sons, the flocks are my flocks, and everything you see is mine. And as for my daughters, what could I do to them today, or to the sons whom they have borne? And now, come, let us make a covenant, you and I, that he remain a witness between you and me, between me and you. Now, Levon is still sticking with his story. Everything you own is really mine. He's sticking with his story. And so he's proving it just by exactly what he is saying. He is proving that everything Yaakov said was true. And Yaakov took a rock and raised it high as a memorial stone. And Yaakov said to his companions, You too, gather rocks. And they took rocks and made a carn. And they ate there by the carn. Levan called it carn of the testimony. Yaakov called it Gal-Ed. For Levan said, This carn is witness between you, between me and you today. Therefore, he called it Gal-Ed. It is called, also called Ha-Mitzpah, the watchpost, because he said, God will watch between me and you because we will no longer be visible to one another. If you should cause my daughters to suffer, or if you take wives besides my daughters, there is, of course, no man with us. But behold, God is witness between me and you. Levon further said to Yaakov, Behold, here is this carn, and here also the memorial stone, which I have set up between myself and yourself. This carn is a witness, and this memorial stone is witness that I will never pass this carn to go to you, and you will not pass this carn and this memorial stone to go to me for harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, will judge between us. So he is invoking not only Hashem, but he's also invoking whatever idol that Nahor served. And Yaakov swore by the dread of his father Yitzhak, at the time of the offering in other words uh, he did not say amen to what Levon said because Levon is invoking the name of another god and Yaakov prepared a meal upon the mountain and invited his companions to eat 
they ate and they stayed overnight upon the mountain Levon rose up early in the morning and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them then Levon left and returned to his place but Yaakov had gone upon his way and angels of God met him and he saw them Yaakov said this is the camp of God and called the place Mahaniyim now when Yaakov had left Eretz Israel the angels of the land stayed and there were new angels that accompanied him outside of the land now he's coming back and the angels of the land of Israel meet him and they're now going to accompany him into the land and this is what it's saying that he met the camp of God that he met the angels of God do we have any questions about this Parsha? Is there anything that you've thought about this week concerning the Parsha or anything that you would like to talk about? It's kind of confusing to have to think about it. It was kind of confusing to have to think about it. I don't understand that. (laughs) Oh, about the sheep okay was that a little bit too much for you about those sheep because I thought I was going slow enough to make it kind of to make it clear of what was going on with those sheep I know that when you read this Parsha there's a lot to it it's a very very full Parsha the sons are being born and that's literally the, the people of Israel coming into existence through the sons and then the sheep are being born and so it's uh, it's a lot. To, it is a lot to think about. Yes, it, it is. It's very deep. <clears throat> and the, now Benjamin was not born yet because Benjamin's not born until they go into the land of Israel and they are just now going into the land of Israel so it's after Yosef is born that they leave Levon and we're going to see later how Yosef stands well it w- we will have it it's in the next Parsha how Yosef in the next Parsha 
will stand in front of his mother to shield her from Esau and actually Rachel is pregnant with Benjamin at this time because she she has Benjamin right after they come into the land of Israel and she dies at that point but he stayed in the house of Levon until after the birth of Yosef so Benjamin is really the only one who was born in the land of Israel and he's the only one who does not bow to Asaph and this is another very important point that we should not miss and it's actually the children of Rachel who are given this um, this job as it were to stand against Asaph and so we see the house of um, Benjamin also in this respect that it's King Saul and then it's Esther and Mordecai who come against the Amalekites Amalekites okay um, the birth of Benjamin you were looking ahead and looking for it It's the rape of Dina. It's um it's in the thirty fifth chapter, the sixteenth verse. Okay. So we see here that at the very end of the Parsha that there is this agreement between Levon and Yaakov that there's going to be this um, it's not really peace as they say we won't pass this barrier to come and do harm. It's not really peace because they don't really come to a peaceful understanding of each other at all. And later in the book of um, the book of the Midbar later on we're going to see how <coughs> Bilaam who is a descendant of Levon just totally disdains this agreement that was made and as he goes by this heap of rocks he shoves a sword into it and then later the donkey smashes his ankle against that those stones and so uh, he has this total disdain for this agreement that was made between Levon and Yaakov and in fact we're told that Bilaam was a reincarnation not just a physical descendant of Levon but he was a reincarnation of Levon himself and he was also a magician like Levon and he had this animosity toward Israel and wanted to destroy them just like Levon did so it's an interesting study to think about these people these characters who are actually relatives 
of the house of Israel who had this desire to destroy Israel because it was opposite of their philosophy of life was opposite of their view of the world and so they did not want Levon didn't want this to come into the world and Bilaam wanted to curse these people who were going to bring Torah to the world and uh, and so it's very interesting to think about all of this and how these characters played throughout history so if we don't have any more questions or comments I'm going to end the class Um, what is the significance of Hashem naming Levi and the mothers naming all the others does it have to do with the Levites being a priestly tribe Um, yes indeed it does because Levi means attachment and he's attached to God that's why he was given that name by by Hashem and it is very significant that he is named by Hashem and it's very very subtle you only see it in the in the gender of the verb does it say Hashem named it's just in the gender of the verb that it's understood and interestingly Yaakov did not name any of the children they were all named by the mothers because the mothers drew those souls down into the world and the mothers had an understanding of the essence of their souls and this is something that um, a lot of times we don't think about when we are naming our children is who is this soul coming into the world who is this and um, and so a lot of times we think of oh I'm going to name this child or if I ever have a child I'm going to name this child so and so but each soul does have a name and it's very good if there's a possibility of finding that name and connecting with that name so interestingly and interestingly enough the names that were given to each of these sons and to Dina also but to each of these sons had significance in their life as they lived their lives Like for instance, we will talk about um, Yehuda. Yehuda is being praised that his tribe was going to be the tribe of the kings. And we have David born into the tribe of Yehuda, who is the one who wrote the Psalms. He's like the leader of praise in the house of Israel. And also Yosef. We want to think about that. Yosef, where it talks about adding that Yosef gathered all of this grain together oh that's very good Um, he gathered all this grain together and so he had this like adding to me something more there is a significance to names so if a person has a name that is uh, not a good name I mean sometimes people do have a name that doesn't fit them and it's really a good idea if they can change that name 
if possible. So, oh, tonight I'm going to just go ahead and end in the class. Now, um, in the future, this class is going to go to an hour. Not right away. I'll I'll let you know when that's going to happen. It's probably it's going to be um, in February, about February. So we'll be able to get through the entire book of Genesis before that happens. There's going to be a um, there's going to be a new class coming on right after me. And that's going to be February or middle February or beginning of March. Okay, so thank you for joining me, and I will see you next week. And I hope that you're going to be in the, how can we do it all in an hour? Well, we're going to have to figure that out. I think what we're going to end up doing is not going through the whole Parsha. I'm going to have to um, just choose parts of it to focus on and... Um, do it like that. That's why I'm glad we're going to be finished with Genesis first before we do that because we can barely get finished in two hours. I kind of have been trying to get through things a little bit quicker lately, but we'll we'll do it. Yes, it will. It will be okay. So I'm going to bid you, all of you, a good night. And thank you so much for joining me in our class tonight. And um, please join us in the rest of the classes for the rest of the week. Yes, where there is a will, there is a way. (laughs) So good night. And I wish you, all of you, very much, very shalom. And have a good week.